Good morning, every nation rainsuck. So great to be with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. We are continuing our awesome God series, and today we're going to be talking about Jehovah Jireh. Oh, everyone wants to know about Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord, our provider. Before I begin, I want to give you a warning that this sermon is not that sermon. You know that sermon about how you just name it, you claim it, you ask for every kind of car you want, every kind of salary you want, every kind of bit of money you want, every dress, every house, every whatever, you just name it, claim it, and bam, God does it for you. That is not the sermon you're going to hear today. If you're disappointed, I'm going to ask you to persevere and just listen. Listen in because I think you'll be surprised that the Jehovah Jireh of the Bible is different from the Jehovah Jireh of that extreme sermon. In fact, he's so much better than that God because he's not a God that is revolving around our wishes and us the center of the universe. But in fact, he firmly places himself at the center of the universe and everything revolves around him. And he's a provider because he's a good father and he looks into all of our lives and finds the very thing that will bless us the most. It will give us the longest blessing the, the, that will speak into the long-term vision for our lives. As a result, we can trust him completely, that he will give us exactly what is best for us, not necessarily exactly what we want. Sad truth, but good truth. So Lord, we pray that as I continue with this sermon, Lord God, that you would unwrap Jehovah Jireh for us. Father God, that we would we would see a God that is so much better than we've ever imagined. We would see a God and, and come to know a God that is so more expansive and glorious and intimate and true and righteous and good than we've ever thought, Lord, and that our eyes would be opened and that we would embrace the fullness of who you are. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. So we are going to be talking from a very famous portion of scripture and that is Genesis 22. It's a very famous passage and it's about a man called Abraham who has received a promise from God that God is going to multiply his his children so that they will be as as large or as many as the stars of the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore and and in so doing, he's going to bless all the nations of the earth. This man, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, find that they are not able to have children. And they have this giant promise from God. And yet they're not able to have children. And finally, after many years in their old age, they do have a son by the name of Isaac. And we pick up the story in Genesis 22, where God comes to Abraham and asks him to do a very surprising thing. So listen with me as I read the story. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to, said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. 
And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Good question. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, by his horns, excuse me. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemy. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. A beautiful story where we hear Abraham, it kind of appears that Abraham at this moment is, is discovering God as Jehovah Jireh. We often think that this was the moment that kind of God became Jehovah Jireh, but we must understand that God is the same always and God has always been Jehovah Jireh. It wasn't that at that moment God kind of kind of unveiled himself as Jehovah Jireh, rather that that Abraham at that moment discovered what always had been, that God indeed was his provider. And at the mo that moment, Abraham's revelation is recorded as he named that place the Lord will provide because that revelation of who God was had solidified in his own heart. A foundational thing that we need to know as we pursue the story is that three times in the Bible, God calls Abraham his friend. The most startling one that I love the most is Isaiah 41 verse 8. And in it, God is speaking to Israel and he says this, but you Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. In other words, he's labeling all of Israel by that relationship. He's defining it by that relationship where him and Abraham were friends. This friendship between God and Abraham probably didn't just appear one day. It probably just didn't appear at Mount Moriah when, when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. It was something most likely that developed over the years as Abraham walked with God. In the development of that relationship, it's most likely that God was revealing himself as Jehovah Jireh and all the other attributes of God that we have 
we have learned about in previous weeks, but but particularly we're talking about Jehovah Jireh today. And he's he this there was this progressive revelation until finally Abraham came to this moment of yes, now I see who you really are. And so I want to follow a little bit the journey of Abraham as God's friend, so that we can discover how God led him into this revelation. And my hope is that as we journey with with a Abraham in this in this walk in this friendship walk that we too would come to that revelation of God as our provider as the one who cares for us the faithful God who will never let us down so I want to talk about the promise and I want to talk about being confined by the promise I want to talk about the process and I want to talk about being refined by the process and I want to talk about the place being defined by the place so that's confined by the promise refined by the process and defined by the place. Let's get to it. Looking at the promise. God, the reason that Abraham and God were in this relationship in the first place is that God had come to Abraham many years prior to the story that we are studying and had given him a magnificent promise. He reiterates it at the end of Genesis 22 when he talks about the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. But I want to read you the original promises. It's in Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, or all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. An enormous promise, a beautiful promise. We understand, looking back into history, that God intended to to bring out of Abraham's offspring a nation called Israel. And then out of Israel, he was going to bring the Messiah. And that Messiah was going to lead all of the nations into a opportunity for relationship with God and therefore was going to save the whole world. Of course, Abraham didn't have a clue about all of that. And indeed, I, I doubt he had really a clue of the enormity of this promise, which is one of the truths that I think all of us have to face up to is that when God comes and gives us a promise, the likelihood of us understanding all the ramifications of it, all the bigness of it at the beginning is very small. Think of this. God said he was going to bless all the nations of the earth through Abraham. Do you think Abraham had any idea what that meant? I mean, he probably thought, oh, that means means you're going to bless Egypt, maybe a little bit of North Africa, some of Mesopotamia. Those were probably the nations that for him meant the nations of the earth. Do you think he had any idea about Guatemala? How about Peru? How about New Zealand? How about Zimbabwe? How about China? You think, you think if... God had even showed that to him, Abraham would have believed it. It it would have blown his mind. Of course, Abraham, in the in the limitedness of his experience, would have had a hard time comprehending the enormity of that promise. Now, every every part of the story of the Bible and every part of the promises of God always have two aspects to them. They have the giant picture, the overall story that God is fitting these promises into, the overall overall redemptive story where God is bringing all of the world back to its created order, all of the world back to the way it's meant to be. We talked about 
um, the shalom of God, the peace of God, the God our peace two weeks ago. And really that's a, a picture. The shalom of God was, was something that God was, all of the Old Testament was looking forward to. And what that was is when all of creation would come back and rest in the presence of God, where all pain would be vanquished, all brokenness would be made right. Things that were out of order would be made, put back into order. And and this is the giant plan of God to restore all things to the way they were meant to be and into the goodness of God. That's the big picture. Of course, for Abraham, there was a smaller picture. There was a very personal part to this promise. There was God's going to bless me. He's going to give me children. He's going to give me a son. He's going to give me a legacy. So Abraham probably spent most of the time thinking about the very personal promise but the truth is that promise was much more than just a promise to Abraham. That was a promise to you and me. It was a promise to the peoples of the earth. It was pro a promise to all of creation that God was going to set things right. Every promise God has given you has a, has a part to play in the giant plan of setting things right. God, God positions the personal promises you have within the story of the giant promises of his kingdom coming to rest on earth, his ways being brought into every part of society, him setting things right through Jesus Christ. And so when we look at our promises, oh, I'd love you to delight in the fact that God has promised you a child, that God has promised you a job, that is God has promised you healing, that God has promised you to bless you, that God has promised to set your marriage right. God has promised to get you through your studies. God has promised to give you a job, whatever the particular thing is. I'd like you to delight in that personal part of the pro promise, but I'd like you to also recognize that that personal part must fit into the giant overworking of God's, God's promises over all the earth. That that should thrill your heart because it means that as God fulfills his personal promises to you, those promises actually help to fulfill the glory of God on earth. They help to fulfill the blessing of nations. They help to fulfill his giant plan to bring everything back into order. And I hope that helps you to think in a bigger way about the promises that God has given you. But I want to, I want to focus into one specific thing about the promise. And let me just start with an analogy before I, before I begin. When I first came to know the Lord, I had been living a very normal, sinful life. I want to be honest with you. I was, I was just a good, ordinary old sinner. I wasn't exceptionally bad. I wasn't exceptionally good. I just did the things that sinners do. When I met Jesus, he made me some promises. And, and one of the promises was that he would give me a great marriage, that he would give me a family and a home. And, and that was something obviously I longed for and it was, I, I came from a good family. It's not that I hadn't had a good family, but, but I longed for a family of my own. And, and so that was an exciting promise. But when God gave me that promise, he all, it also came with some caveats, just as Abraham's promise did. It came with, with the understanding that in order to inherit this great marriage that God was wanting to give me, that I was going to have to adjust my present lifestyle to prepare for that marriage. 
So in other words, there were some ways of living, some ways of relating to men that I was going to have to change. There were some ways of, of conducting myself, the ways of thinking about myself and my environment that were going to, was going to have to change. I was going to have to step away from being that very ordinary sinner to being, being a child of God and living righteously in his ways so that he could give me a great marriage. Now, now I want to be honest. I mean, I, I love Jesus, so I changed my lifestyle. But there was a part where I changed it because I knew there was something great coming, that there was a promise on the way. So what happened is that, that the promise of a great marriage began to confine my present living. It began to restrain me. It began to kind of order my life. It began to restrict certain options. And I did it with joy because I'd heard the promise was on the way. Abraham, it was exactly like that. God gave him this great promise, but then he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, there's this promise. And in order to inherit this promise, there's going to have to be some constriction to your life, some changes to the way you live. So the promise to some degree confined him, confined his lifestyle, confined him to a course of action that would grow him into the kind of person that could inherit the promise. So it is with us that God's promises confine us. It is worth constraining your spending habits in order to tithe, give and save because the promise of God's provision is so big and expansive. It's worth confining your sexual desires because God's promise of a marriage is so magnificent. It is worth giving yourself to prayer, the word and sharing your faith because the promise of the kingdom on earth is so powerful. In other words, the constriction of a righteous lifestyle is worth it because of the promises that it allows us to inherit. Abraham allowed himself to be confined by the promise because he saw what was at stake. So we've looked at being confined by the promise. Let's look at being refined by the process. I have a good friend. She delights my heart. She, she works in our communications department in the church. And very often she designs some of the artwork you see on our social media and in our advertising, etc. And I, I haven't known her all that long, but, but I just... I just clicked with her and just love her heart and I think she enjoys me she appears to anyway so but but when we spend time together I find that that I just get to know her and delight in her and she seems to be getting to know me and seems to be delighting in me but but I notice that that when she produces artwork for me that somehow she seems to capture my heart in that artwork and I was thinking about this the other day that that friendship and relationship allows you to know the other person so that so that your ways of thinking become more in sync you seem to be able to flow better together and you seem to be able to think well together to understand one another more and so it is with friendship friendship allows allows you to sort of be unveiled to someone else and it is like that in our relationship with God as God moved in a friendship relationship with Abraham God became unveiled to Abraham. Abraham was able to see into the heart of God to a greater measure. What I love about this is that 
that God, unlike an earthly friend, always knows you. So there's, there's nothing, there's nothing about you that he didn't know before he was even your friend. So as you're walking in this friendship relationship with you, it's not like he's discovering new things about you, but you're discovering great things about him. About him. But the truth is that he knows more about you than you do. And as you are journeying with him, what ends up happening is the true you is reflected in his reflected back to you through your relationship with him and sometimes you think see things that are great and you think wow I didn't know that 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 was in me sometimes you think see things that are not so great and you're like oh my word I gosh I'm so much less than I hope to be look at that and the, the beauty of walking in a friendship with God is there's no condemnation he's not he's not out to get you to throw you under the bus to make you feel bad about it. It's like in seeing that weakness, at the same time comes the grace from him to be better. The capacity and the loving environment to shore up those weak areas and make them into something more, to make them stronger. And you know, it was like this with Abraham. You see, that promise that I read you that he got in Genesis 12, that was reiterated in Genesis 22 when he went to sacrifice his son, between Genesis 12 and 22, there was this period where, where Abraham walked with God in friendship, but that, that he messed up quite a bit. Can I be honest with you? And I love that. I love that, that Abraham was just an ordinary guy who made mistakes, who did wrong things, who messed up. In fact, the promise that God gave him was under threat a number of times. If you read Genesis 12 to 22, I count at least seven times that it was under threat. That there was something that happened that threatened to undermine what God was doing in Abraham and through Abraham. Interestingly, interestingly enough, four of those times, the threat to the promise came through Abraham. Believe it or not, Abraham's cowardice stupidity, sinful nature interfered in such a way that there was, there was a possibility that something could be de derailed in this promise. Every time, however, God stepped in to rescue the promise. Let's look at some of those times that Abraham himself threatened by his wrong actions to undo the promise. In Genesis 12, him and Sarah moved to Egypt and because of a famine, God had clearly blessed Abraham with a beautiful wife, Sarah. I mean, the Bible reports that she was absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. And Abraham realized, I'm going into Egypt. Pharaoh is going to see her and want her as his wife. And then he's going to kill me to get her. So instead of being brave and courageous and protecting his wife, he says to Sarah, pretend you're my friend, you're my sister. And then Pharaoh won't kill me. So... Pharaoh he says, oh, well, gosh, look at this beautiful woman. She's not married. That's her brother. I'll just take her for my harem. He does. He takes Sarah into his harem. God steps in with power. God says, Abraham, you're not protecting the promise. You're not looking after what I've given you, but I'm going to step in. I'm going to make this happen because my promises will prevail. He steps in and he starts just bringing calamity on Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh, Pharaoh realizes something wrong, makes inquiries, realizes that Sarah is Abraham's wife and that God is protecting her. 
sends her back hurriedly to Abraham so that he can rescue his household. And Abraham takes his wife and leaves Egypt. God stepped in to rescue. Rescue the promise. Another time, Abraham says to God, just take Eliezer as my heir. Just forget that you're going to give me a child. Just take this other person. Another time, they're, they're in Philistine territory. There's another king who Abraham is afraid will think Sarah is beautiful again. You think he would have learned from the first time. No. Genesis 20 does it all over again. And he says, Sarah, pretend you're my, my sister. Abimelech, this other king, does the exact same thing. Takes Sarah into harm. God has to intervene again. Abraham proves himself to be so totally human, so totally messed up. And yet he's called the father of our faith. The father of our faith. Why? Because in all of these messings up, in all of these difficulties, he never left God. He continued to walk. And although God had to rescue him time and time again, he continued to walk with God. He continued to persevere. He made the changes. He learned what he needed to learn. And, and he continued to walk. The last time when he nearly messed things up, we learned about last week when him and, him and Sarah colluded to give Sarah's maidservant to Abraham as a wife. And she had a child by him in the form of Ishmael. And Ishmael, although an innocent boy, threatened to unravel the covenant that God had made with Abraham that would give Abraham and Sarah their own son. And so God had to remove Ishmael and bless him in another, poor, in another way and take care of him, but remove him so that the promise of God could be brought through Abraham and Sarah. How do we know that through all these times that Abraham messed up, that he changed? Well, we read it in Genesis 22, the story of him sacrificing his son. We read it there because in Genesis 22 verse 5, here's a beautiful thing. He's, he's walking with his servants towards Mount Moriah where he is going to apparently sacrifice Isaac. And he says this to the young men that are with him. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Genesis 22 verse 5. What's beautiful about this is can you see how sure Abraham was that he was going to walk away from that so-called sacrifice, him and Isaac together. He was so convinced. He had seen time and time again how God had rescued the promise. And he could see that even now God will rescue the promise. As opposed to the previous times when he took measures in his own hands, that he, that he allowed his cowardice and self-preservation to win and he did the wrong thing. Right now he said, I will trust God because I know that I've seen through this friendship walk with God, how God time and time again has rescued the promise. Now he will rescue the promise. I am convinced that myself and Isaac are going to walk away from here whole because God's promise must proceed through Isaac. Genesis 22, verse 6 to 8, we read it earlier. Isaac and, and Jacob are about to do the sacrifice and Isaac comes to Abraham and says, hey, 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 there's something wrong here. Isaac says to his father, my father, verse 7, here I am, my son, says Abraham. Behold, says Isaac, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Like I said earlier, very good question. Isaac is putting 
two and two together and he's saying something isn't adding up here. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Beautiful. Can you see the faith that is coming to Abraham's heart? Can you see the trust that is coming to Abraham's heart? Right now, he's not holding on to anything. He's not trying to protect himself from God. He's not trying to make his own way. He's absolutely convinced that somehow God is going to rescue the situation as well. God God is going to protect the promise. He is so very sure about it. He can can confidently walk up that mountain and do what he needs to do or do what he's been instructed to do because he knows God is going to intervene and bring about his own sacrifice and me and my son, we are going to walk away. Falsely, people often think that Abraham was going to kill his son. Abraham knew from the very beginning that God was going to rescue Isaac. He knew that the test was not would he would he kill his son his test the test was would he believe that god would make a way for isaac to live would he believe that and it's proven that he did the process he was refined by the process of walking in friendship with god seeing god time and time again rescue the promise and knowing that he was going to rescue the promise now Time and time again, he was was refined in his understanding of the goodness and faithfulness of God. Here's what I love. Is that not one time that Abraham messed up? Was God angry at him? He didn't come down and scold Abraham. He just fixed it and continued walking with Abraham. And so in your life, you may look back at your life at mistakes, at things you've done that out of selfishness or out of cowardice or whatever it is. Here is the thing. God's promises remain firm to you despite that. God's giant promises of how you will be used in in bringing about his kingdom on earth, his personal promises to you of how he's going to bless you remain true because he's he's Jehovah Jireh. He's, He's the provider. He will watch. He will provide what is necessary to preserve the promise. He will provide what is necessary to preserve the promises to you. Last of all, Abraham was defined by the place. An important, important thing that you need to note is that when the whole concept of Jehovah Jireh was brought forth in this passage, if you will remember, it says Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. That place was named Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. There was something about that place that was very important in the provision of God. Theologians and historians tell us a fascinating thing that the mountain where Abraham went to sacrifice his son in Moriah would later be the place where Jerusalem was built. And that very mountain was the place where Jesus outside of Jerusalem would have been hung on the cross, would have been nailed to the cross. In other words, that place was the place where Jehovah Jireh, not only for Abraham, but for the entire world would be, would be revealed. It would be in that place that God would come down and show to all of creation, to all of mankind, that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he lives up to his promises, that he will make a way for every personal promise and every cosmic promise to be fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. That as Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son, God would provide a lamb for himself and that lamb would be Jesus Christ his only son that would be sacrificed there 
in the place of all our possible sacrifices, that he would stand in the place of all the sin, the pain, the heartache, the calamity. He would take the consequences of our mistakes. He would stand before the the anger and the vehemence of of evil that was coming towards us. He would make a way that, that the forces of darkness would be pushed back. He would make a way that the forces of darkness would be pulled out of our hearts. He would make a way through that sacrifice. He would provide through that sacrifice that every man, woman, and child could know peace, that every man, woman, and child could know wholeness. Every man, woman, and child could know their redemptive purpose, could live out the fullness of who they were meant to be, that things in this earth would be set right. This is Jehovah Jireh, that he made this giant promise to Abraham and he completed it through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He made personal promises to Abraham and he completed it through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is making personal promises to you and he's completing them through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made giant cosmic promises to this earth and he is completing them through the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord in that place, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. An interesting thing is that God said to Abraham in that moment, now I know, verse 12, that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. When we look at Calvary and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that very same mountain, many thousands of years ago, we see the tables reversed. And now it's no longer God looking at us or looking at Abraham saying, now I know. It's us looking at the heavenly father and saying, now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your only son. You have not withheld your only son. Golgotha, Calvary, the place where Jesus was crucified, is the ultimate place of God's provision. And it is here that we are defined as ones loved by God, by what is provided. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says this, For all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. In conclusion, we come to know God as Jehovah Jireh, as we journey with him in friendship, being confined by God's promises, refined by the process and defined by the place. We confine our lives in view of the greatness of the promises to come, which are probably far greater than we ever imagined. We are refined by the process of walking in relationship with God and watching him as he protects and guards his promises to us, watching as he picks us up from our brokenness and our hurt and our heartache and learning to trust completely in him. And then we are defined by the place where Jesus stood with outstretched arms or hung, should I say rather, with outstretched arms saying, I am the lamb that God has provided that you might be free, that you might be whole, that the promises of God would come to you, that the promises of God would come to you. If he would not even withhold his son from you, how much more will he give you his promises, his blessing, his love, his goodness? We can trust him wholeheartedly because he is true to his promises. He is Jehovah Jireh and he provides 
in such a way that his promises are fulfilled. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone on this on this video, I pray, Lord God, for blessing upon blessing on them. Father God, I ask that those who are far from you, Lord God, would come close. Lord God, those of you who are despairing that the promises will ever be fulfilled in their life, Lord God, would you answer them and would you bring them great hope in their hearts, Lord God? Would you help them to look back over their lives at all the times that you have caught them before, that you have rescued them before, and would you help them to believe into the future that you will bring about your promises? Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray this. If you in any way want to take a step closer to Jesus, if you want to know more about Christianity, more about the church, you want to know more about Jesus, or you want to make a commitment to him, or, or you want to just take another step, maybe be baptized in water, or, or learn what, what more you can know about Jesus and how to walk in greater obedience to him, there is a a link that will come up it's a whatsapp link you can just follow that link someone will be there to interact with you and we will we will help you take your next steps in jesus the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace give you his shalom god bless you